Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Up podcast. Uh, please keep on listening. That's the best thing you can do for me if uh, you want to help out the podcast in any way or just if you're an occasional listener here and there. Just keep that rolling uh, for a little while and don't drop off of the podcast. I think that actually helps me out even more than ratings, five-star reviews, that sort of thing. If you feel led to do that and you like it, like what you got coming, then uh, do that as well. In the meantime, uh, when I'm planning episodes and everything, I'm constantly looking for new ideas, new topics, uh, things that, that folks want to learn from. Uh, and, and the big thing there is understanding the learning audience. So I really got to figure out what my learning audience or my listening audience is. Uh, do me a favor and give me some feedback on um, kind of who you are and, and uh, what topics info are helping you out. And my info to do that is clint.a.whitley at gmail.com or Instagram DMs or uh, Facebook Messenger is great as well. So reach out in some way. Tell me uh, what I'm doing right here and what you like hearing. Uh, I know what I got to improve on and not really asking for bad or good negative feedback at the moment. I know I'm not the greatest all the time. So uh, that's I'll ask for that another time. Uh, I got soft skin, so so be gentle. Just would love to make sure I'm giving the, the best content possible. And as I'm making some internal improvements over these next few months and years, year, uh, I want to make sure that I'm providing that, that good quality content. So working with a, a great little company, uh, doing some consulting with my podcast and making some improvements. So if you're making little uh, notices and, or uh, observations on what I'm doing different. That's what it is. Uh, just slight little things doesn't really impact anything that's going on other than I know you guys got to listen to an ad or two, uh, at the beginning and then the mid roll. So bear with, with me on those. They are short. Uh, but in order to pay for content, uh, pay for the, uh, host sites and all these different things, we, I got to raise just a little bit of money. Uh, I'm a state employee on a state salary, so it'd be really great to be able to um, make just enough to cover it uh, and someday it'd be cool to, to cover my hunts too. That'd be that'd be kind of a cool, cool little goal, um, but not important by any means. I just want to break even enough to, to cover and, and make some better content for you and provide even more content. So that's the goal uh, and connect with you guys. So I love connecting and I love the emails that come in. Everybody's so nice and I appreciate you all. 
uh, that, uh, that do listen and, and give that good feedback. So in this episode, I am chatting with my old friend, Corey Kennedy. Uh, we both coached wrestling together and we kind of traded off the head coach position at one point or another. And we've, we've kind of just stayed in contact here and there. He's uh, been listening to the, the podcasts and kind of give me some of those, those ideas. Um, he's in the oil and gas industry and there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, interesting content to talk about top topics there around that and good for wildlife, bad for wildlife, the, the wonderful things that it can do, the, the things that it can harm. Um, so bear with me on that. It could get a little political, but not too, too much. Uh, but we want to, want to bring, some conversation around to it. So be open-minded. I'm going to be open-minded. Uh, don't know really exactly where, where we'll take the conversation, but definitely around the oil and gas, some of those, those effects on it and, um, have a, have a great conversation with Corey. So here is my, uh, my episode and my interview with my buddy Corey. Enjoy. All right, Corey, thanks for spending your Monday afternoon or an hour of your Monday afternoon to chat with me a little bit about kind of what you do in your field. And I've already recorded a little intro uh, of kind of what, what we're talking about. So we're going down okay. the oil and gas road and wildlife and hunting and the, some connections there that, that those have. So appreciate you coming on. If you could just introduce yourself real quick. Uh, yeah, so um, Corey Kennedy, I live on the Western Slope of Colorado. Um, so I'm an environmental consultant, which to most people doesn't mean anything or, you know, raises a lot of questions. But, um, you know, basically I do environmental work in the oil and gas field. Um, I'm a consultant for oil and gas companies. So I spend a lot of time uh, up in the mountains and on these oil and gas wells. And I get the opportunity to, uh, you know, see a lot of wildlife and and kind of see how the terrain changes. And, you know, I just thought of the relationship between um, oil and gas and hunting. And it's kind of an interesting topic. So, um, you know, I appreciate you having me come on and talk a little bit about it. Yeah. So vegan, anti-hunter, correct? No, I'm just kidding. The, <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, you're a hunter. What's, uh, and we've talked, we've talked hunting a bunch. We've, we've uh, been in the wrestling room together and, and spent lots of time coaching kids together. So we've, we've had lots of time to talk about these things, but what, uh, I, we haven't talked hunting in a little while. So what, uh, right. kind of what you, what's been your, your jam in the last, last year or two? Well, you know, I, I always put in for everything and see what I get. Um, but you know, ideally, uh, I'm enjoying the elk hunting. That's my main goal every year. Um, I'll get a deer tag if I need some meat. Um, it's fun. Uh, I've been, you know, searching for those long desired tags, the, the sheep, the goat, the moose, and I haven't drawn one yet. So, um, but you know, in the spring, I always go turkey hunting. It's fun activity in the spring and, uh, you know, the small game and, and the bear and stuff like that. It's always just kind of a last minute decision on, you know, going out and trying for it. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What, uh, how many points you got for kind of those big three moose goat sheep? Uh, oh, I've, I mean, I've, I'm not, I'm not close enough yet, but I keep <laughs> praying. I think I have five or six really. Oh. Well, yeah. Cause I, I moved out of state for a couple of years and that, that mess, you know, kind of started, restarted the process for me. So, oh, it did like you had to go yeah. back to zero. 
well yeah because i didn't i didn't i didn't apply for out of state for those preference points and then you know i logged back in a number of years later and then that's what it was it was back at zero so uh i did that in south dakota i had lost all my elk preference because you non-residents aren't eligible for elk points so after five years those went away yeah, oh, right. I probably would have just about enough to go do it because it's like a seven, <sighs> 17 point average. And well, now you got something to look forward to. Yeah, but I'm only <laughs> going to have one of those in my life. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. It's fine. We have right. giant, beautiful elk here. But they're, oh, yeah. They're, they're just big elk. They're so, they're awesome elk. Yeah. And I just learned yeah. that through the buying antlers and everything, getting to see what guys are finding just big, beautiful bulls. Oh, that's great. Uh, and I think they're a little dumber than out in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty smart here, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the things that, that comes up a lot in Western hunting for sure is oil and gas uh, and the influence that has on wildlife, influence that it has socially. And we're not jumping too far into the social stuff. I want to look at the the wildlife connections. But people out east don't see that. But they, they see it a different way. They see... Uh, wind farms, uh, solar farms probably are going to start to be a lot more prevalent. So you got your own own sorts of things, and then you still have lots of uh, oil and gas in Pennsylvania and, and some of those eastern states there a little bit. But the West is so vast and open and and very mineral rich. Uh, but you've got this what I look at kind of some of the the country that you and I both hunt and. Uh, there's, it's, it's wide open, arid, desolate. The person that bought that land 50 years ago, it's like, you can hold maybe one cow on there for every hundred acres. I don't know. I mean, it just doesn't have any vegetation to it really. It's very, it doesn't hold a lot of animals, um, holds a lot of wildlife, but, and then they find out there's oil and gas below it. And here they are billionaires now <laughs> driving, yeah. driving back and forth from Texas to Colorado seems to be that crowd. So yeah, we've get a lot of influence of, of oil and gas in, in these places we hunt. It's definitely impacted, uh, my hunts. Um, some of the, the political pieces to it are really interesting. And again, I am no oil and gas expert, so that's why I brought you on. Uh, and we're not political experts by any means, so we're not diving into that. So don't don't tune out. Um, but the it, it's interesting to see the the historical interest of oil and gas and how uh, it started very much as a left natural gas started as a as an idea from the left, and, and how that would be a cleaner energy, uh, and now that is definitely leaned further right and. and typically a lot of hunters lean right. Uh, I think there's a uh, bigger spectrum now for sure in the hunting world. Um, but we do notice in this as well as other areas that, uh, we, we have a not here mentality, uh, not here, meaning not in our backyard. We don't, we, we like it, but maybe not here. So any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, um, I, I totally agree with you. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy how the industry evolves and, uh, you know, even how they, these populations move into these different places. Um, you know, you got these people from West Texas that, you know, 10 years ago were right here in Western Colorado, which, you know, doesn't necessarily 
lean left or right. It's kind of, you know, somewhere in the middle. But, you know, it's, it's just interesting how these demographics pop from place to place as well uh, and kind of change that uh, dynamic, you know. Yeah, I think it's so interesting, the uh, movement in electric cars. I mean, I, I think it's cool. Uh, yeah. It's pretty fascinating. I've driven my brother's Tesla, and the thing's got some get-up-and-go. Uh, it's pretty fun. I have no problem seeing myself drive an electric truck someday, as long as it can perform. Um, yeah. But those have a lot of negative impacts as well. And it's all the minerals and the batteries and, and the whatever they called little um oh are you still yeah sorry you cut out for a second man <laughs> nope that was me stuttering <laughs> no. Oh, okay <laughs> no uh but all those things in in those batteries are uh, a finite resource and we can't even legally mine them in a lot of places right. here in the u.s so no not here but maybe somewhere else we could go do that so you see that where we mine for natural gas is maybe here but not there right so uh but in in western colorado it's there uh it's a pretty big very big industry and there's a there's a lot of a lot of natural gas near you so what's what's kind of your describe your your uh outlook as to how you approach your your day-to-day with um maybe looking at some of these negative impacts versus the positive impacts and how you approach work every day um i I guess can you be a little more specific (laughs) yep yep that wasn't a very good question um so there is we've got some of these positives and these negatives where do you sit with uh okay yeah where do you sit on your day-to-day with with uh we need this uh natural gas is and and oil is what drives our vehicle heats our homes um and right. uh and all the all the like so uh we need yeah. it but yet here's yeah. maybe a negative impact so go ahead yeah so uh you know definitely obviously you know i'm employed because of oil and gas and i see a lot of people who are employed because of oil and gas um i know everything that goes into it and all the products that need oil and gas and so you know i obviously support that and um you know, there's there's some negatives at times to oil and gas, whether it be for, you know, wildlife populations or whether it be for, you know, human health and safety. But, um, you know, especially in places like Colorado, there's so many regulations and requirements for all these operators that are aimed to mitigate those risks as much as possible and to kind of balance that system. And so, um, you know, and working in an environmental I have the opportunity to, you know, contribute to the benefit of those things as well. Um, you know, so each day while I go out and, and do any sort of inspections or whatnot, you know, I, I, I take pride in that work and knowing that it's having a positive effect both for industry and for wildlife. And there's a negative to, to building a house or a road. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's development. Yeah. In in general. Yes. It's a part of life and we have we have expanded into all these these species species habitats. So that's where I am very strongly um and, and a proponent of we need to intervene and we have to have our agencies that manage wildlife and and not just allow them to just 
go on their merry way because it's not going to work. We've already intervened by moving west. If this was a giant Yellowstone, the whole western U.S., maybe that, that'd be fine. It's its own ecosystem that could maybe self-sustain. But we're already here. We've impacted every little inch of this place. Uh, so we have to intervene. Um, right. But so let's uh, sandwich this thing uh, with some, instead of just being all negative or all positive, let's, let's be real about it. So let's, let's talk about some of the positive things that, that you see uh, around having this industry in our wildlife. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a big thing that comes to mind right away is, uh, is how it creates additional public access to some of these locations that, you know, would normally not be feasible to get to, um, you know, actually it's kind of funny, um, that this all worked out well, because I read a, uh, a little article a couple months back and I was just thinking about it. Um, and I know they were talking about how the presence of oil and gas wells had a positive influence on, um, harvest efficiency for elk and mule deer in Wyoming. Um, and that was just because, you know, they increased, um, access to these hunting areas and in doing so you know they if people are harvesting more animals you're obviously going to get more hunters you know you're going to have hunter satisfaction um, your game populations are going to be um, are, are going to be uh, taken care of and your economic revenue is just gonna you know skyrocket from that as well so i think that is one huge positive that i see um, I, I could go on and on about other positives as well. If you, if you want me Don't, to let's, let's each one, but, uh, I just, I'd love to comment on each one as they kind of come yeah. up and things. Cause we've got the, in a lot of that, that area that I spend some time in, in Northwest <laughs> Colorado and pretty much all of Northwest Colorado has got, got some pretty, um, impacts here, but the, those roads, a lot of them do kind of close off to public access, but then there's some trails and things. The and I watch the oil and gas companies dump water into little holding ponds. So mm-hmm. th- they've done some little projects there to like, hey, we've got an extra water truck or whatever coming up. We'll fill this pond up, um, this little water hole, or maybe on a dry year. There's a good thing. Um, or uh, along those roads or trails, they've opened it up to a piece. And, and if you think about opening up roads as being a a negative, you got to think of how vast and open this country is. One little road could open up 40,000 acres to be able to just like get to it, to be within five miles of the other side or 10, 10 miles of the other side. You can still have a pretty serious backcountry hunt. Uh, I, I've okay. looked at this one little piece. Um, when you uh, decide to uh, do a little death march someday, I've got a spot you got to go because uh, <laughs> okay. it's it's not like horrible to get into. It's just like six miles, and yeah, that's not bad. No, but it's it's enough to when I hunt alone, it's not going to work. Uh, right. And in September, and, and up in that area where I hunt, it's hot so it would be a trick i just haven't done it but i've looked at it over and over again um may have someone to be able to pull something out with a vehicle uh that's connected in that that world but the only access people drive right by this little chunk all the time the oil and gas workers companies they drive by it all the time but uh 
it's not open to the public. So I've got these, that little trail that kind of goes through there and you still have to bushwhack a little bit up and around corners, up through little funnels, find the, and you really couldn't do it without Onyx. There's just no way. Um, right. But yeah, you'll have to head in there sometime. It's, uh, it's kind of interesting to, to look at. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think it's, you know, especially for, you know, I got two little girls at home. And so like this last hunting season, you know, I kind of prefer being, you know, an all day hunter, right. Where I'm going out early in the morning and I'm getting home late at night. And what you said about, you know, a six mile walk in might not be feasible for me to do. you know, I'm not camping, I'm not staying overnight, but we have access roads and different cutoffs that we can take because of oil and gas that, that makes these spots that are, you know, feasible, even if I'm going in and hiking all day, at least I can drive to the mountains where I need to get to and then hike from there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I noticed I didn't even do a ton of real backcountry hunts until my mm-hmm. later years of living in Colorado. And then when I moved away, it forced more of that. Okay. I'm going there for a week. I'm going to spend mm-hmm. a full week most of my hunts were those after work or one day on a weekend, get up at three, drive up there, spend all day. Um, and not as much of that overnight stuff. So it, that's, that really made that pretty, pretty possible. Right. So, so you, you had mentioned on our little bulleted list here, some safe havens. What's that mean? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's so funny when you go out, it's hunting season, right? And I'm going to work and I'm driving it. And it's like, as soon as I get onto this, you know, this oil and gas property that I know the public can access, all of a sudden there's, you know, 300 head of elk sitting there, you know, and they sit there all winter long because they know they're not going to get hunted there. (laughs) So it's just kind of crazy how it creates this, these little pockets where these animals like to sit and hang out. And then, you know, they know that they're safe there. And, you know, the same could be said on private land, too, but uh, in general. But, you know, in private land, a lot of times people, if they have a big uh, population, they're going to capitalize uh, on that by hiring or by um, selling off hunts. But um, so, yeah, this is crazy how these these oil and gas pockets create these safe havens for, for wildlife, basically to sit during hunting season and be safe. You know, I've been, I was actually just thinking about that today and the number of elk on those places. I was trying to think of how did I not figure out more of where those elk were shedding? I want to, I want to know where they're shedding. <laughs> yeah. Well, if they're, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but if, if, if that's the hard thing for me, right. Is, is in those little pockets when you, when you start getting on the oil and gas stuff for work, you know, if I see a shed, I can't, I'm not supposed to pick it up. I can't pick it up. So it's just, it's a sad day, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but, and, and they're big enough pieces of property. I think they probably just have the little valleys. They drop them right there instead Mm -hmm. of coming down to the public. Um, so yeah, and let's, uh, Move on to next point, uh, some of the restoration and reclamation. Yeah, so, um, you know, when – so initially when an oil and gas company comes in, you know, they're going to obviously disturb habitat, whether they're building a pipeline, a well pad, access roads. Um, you know, the, the, there's a construction process to it, just like if you were putting in, you know, power lines. It's the same sort of thing. And in doing so, you know, a lot of times when they reclaim, reclaim these lands or – whether it be for like stormwater control or, or whatnot, they're planting 
Okay, so you have these areas. I mean, you know what it looks like out here, Clint. It's pretty, you know, dry areas. We got a lot of dirt, a lot of sage. Um, and so you have this new um, right away, this pipeline that went in, right? And they come in and they plant it. And so we have new growth. We have new vegetation coming in. And these deer and elk like to use that. They like to um, just sit there and feed on it all day long because, they're, you know, they finally found a good meal. And so they're going to take advantage of it, you know? Yeah. the I noticed that with one of my little favorite spots. It was always loaded with pretty big mule deer. And then I think it was actually the BLM they went and, and – uh, oh, I don't know what the machine is called, but giant lawnmower that's mowing down trees. Yeah. Um, the hydro something. Hydro. Drag hide something like that, hydro like a hydro seeding. No, no, there's oh. a yeah, I know oh, it's, it's like cutting it down, yeah, and, yeah. and I know the word hydro's in it, which doesn't make sense, but yeah, um, it was this big thing that literally mows down trees uh, and oh. oak brush, and it just they mowed down like the whole top there, and it was all for sage grouse habitat. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that was one of their it, it opened it up for for the sage grouse and I think the deer actually moved from my area where I knew they were at and they moved into that reclaimed area or the, um, where they did that project. So I think, right. I think they moved away from there. So I don't know exactly what they did anymore, <laughs> but so in that instance, it kind of messed me up, but I knew kind of what was probably happening. Um, mm-hmm. they just created more habitat and the sage grouse are one of those that, that probably could use use a little bit more of that that help habitat wise whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt at midwayusa.com we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns advanced scent control technologies and weatherproof options to withstand the elements hunters have to wait until their favorite season but shouldn't wait on gear which is why midway usa offers super fast shipping when you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Um, oh, yes. So the, and then the, some of the negative with that is disturbing that habitat. You've got a, if you got a new oil pad or, or a um, site there that needs some work on that disturbance right out the gates, you know, obviously can't be a, a, a great thing um, initially. So what do, what do you do on the, on the daily basis or, or project wise on mitigating some of the, that disturbance? 
Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's so many things that go into, um, you know, mitigating all these potential environmental threats. Um, but you know, obviously, if you if you're building a pad, you can cause, you know, erosion. Um, you know, all this dirt can and can, you know, go into a nearby stream. So we do stormwater management for that. Um, just where we install like silt fences and things along those lines, just like with general construction. Um, you know, we have air quality issues that we got to think of. So we go out and do um, inspections with an infrared camera to make sure that there's nothing leaking. They um, typically we have they have pumpers go around and they will do um, daily ADO inspections, which is just uh, do you hear anything leaking? Do you see anything leaking or do you smell anything leaking? Um, and then, you know, it, and it goes clear on be, uh, above that to, um, you know, permitting and different types of inspections, making sure that rainwater doesn't leave the site. If there was a spill, it's going to be contained um, so it doesn't leave the site. If they do have a spill, cleaning it up as quickly as possible, making sure that there's that nothing's impacted. So, I mean, there's so many things that go into it. Yeah. Um, the the noise, noise pollution stuff. What uh, what have you yeah. seen for how that kind of impacts wildlife? Well, I mean, what I can tell you is that I don't typically see your see deer and elk hanging out next to a noisy compressor. <laughs> so that yeah. probably has something to do with it. You know, uh, we have these compressors that are typically pretty loud or even compressor stations that are pretty loud. And, you know, that's an area where you may typically see elk or deer, but, uh, you know, when those are on and running, they're not there. And now whether that may be in, you know, their typical habitat where they might hang out, you know, obviously I can't answer that, but, um, you know, it, it seems to be that, you know, this noise pollution is at least pushing the elk and deer outside of those areas. And I did have a sweet spot that I can no longer hunt due to, it was a certain oil gas company that allowed public access. And then now they don't, you know, which one I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but I used to hunt on that piece and there was one pad that there that had a pond below it. And sometimes it was hard to even hear over top of that. I don't, it was a pad. I don't even know this stuff. I'm sure it was a compressor or something, but had yeah. like a, had a Connex building or a trailer there. And there was always something, a noise going on there, but I shot two elk off of that pond and it was, <laughs> 75 yards from that building right because they were coming down to water they were coming yeah. off of the main big hunk of private and then making their way down to that pond and it was always just like the last five minutes you just would hear the force behind you just explode uh yeah. with these elk coming down and when elk come down to water it's really kind of cool because they they just are like on a mission and almost running kind of like it's time to go let's go running down the hill and it's always the cows first. My first experience with that is had a, had a little, little bull and a couple of cows, uh, come in there and, and my buddy and I were both drawn on these and, and I stuck him and, um, the, uh, I think that following year, the same year, I think I shot a cow off of, off of it. Yeah. So I made a mistake. It was like five minutes of light left, seven minutes, maybe, I don't know, somewhere in there. And the cow came, these cows just kept walking towards me. They were probably 25 yards away and I was, I knew they were coming, but I stood up 
I had all kinds of movement, stood up, and they just kept walking towards me down the hill. Wind must have been perfect. And I drew on this cow, and it was like all pins were on her shoulder. Uh, I don't, I don't even know which pin I picked cause it was, she was too close. It was probably one of those like five yards, 10 feet kind of things. Wow. Uh, and then I shot and then I heard the bull bugle because I oh. shot, I killed the cow and then they all kind of spooked. And then the bull at learning later what that I have that sound ingrained in my head of his bugle. It was a, it was a command from the bull saying, Hey, get back down there we're going to water and that's what he was telling his cows. So I, I kind of figured that out later. So I totally jacked that up <laughs> listening to what that bugle was. I, and have, I don't think a raghorn has 30 cows. So, yeah. uh, it probably was a really nice bull and I totally jacked that up by shooting a stupid cow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but, at least you ate. Yeah, it was cool. It was really cool. It's just, I think about, I wonder what that bull looked like. I really don't know what it looked like. So I know what he sounded like, but it was cool. So yeah, that, some of that, that noise can have some negative impacts, but they really get used to it. I watched it and the, and the deer too. They, they ran back down every, every night we sat on that pond. There was, there was deer that run down to the, down there. But obviously if there's dudes working on the pad, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what kind of uh funding and 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 source resources that way uh kind of benefit wildlife? Yeah, so you know, these oil and gas operators, they have, you know, they have so many permits and requirements to go through. Um, you know, without getting into too much detail. Um, you know, basically um just for an example, we'll just use one example. Um so basically the federal government says that wetlands are important to our environment. Um, and so when these oil and gas operators want to build on wetlands or in an area where there's potential wetlands, um, you know, they purchase credits from a wetland mitigation bank to offset the loss. And so uh, the Army Corps of Engineers actually uses uh, these credits to provide new habitat. And so it's always whatever they take away, they're building um, they're building the same and more. Uh, if that makes sense. So like if you're, if you build a pad, um, they're adding new wetlands, the size of the pad, plus say another half size of the pad, you know what I mean? Okay. And yeah. so, and, and then, um, you know, they have all these, um, permits and, and funds that go through different agencies in different States, um, as well to, to, um, you know, help establish habitat, um, in, in these areas as well. Um, so without getting too specific, <laughs> a general understanding of how they're funding um, environmental areas. Yeah, and so do we do hunters see some of the um, the benefit of these funds, like kickback to these these companies want to do projects or anything? Besides, describe that a little bit more, maybe in a couple examples of of maybe oh. some habitat development or something like that well i mean i, I you know I, I i know about as much about the funding in the government as as um as as much as i trust it so not very much but <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> um but you know i do know that some of these oil and gas operations you know uh, i mean you lived out here you were a teacher out here um so you know that the, you know they're giving money to school districts and stuff like that 
Um, and I know for a fact too, that some of them give away hunts and they, and they use specific hunting on, on some of their private lands. Even they, you know, they sell hunts now, whether it, it, I, I mean, I guess I can't answer specifically where all the funds go just cause I can't track it all. Um, but you know, they're making money, they're finding ways to get those tax credits. And I guarantee they're doing some of that um through environmental concerns and there's some you're alluding to some of the economic potential and and impacts there the schools in those communities we were in that school one of those and you could see it kids moving it's a transient community kids coming kids leaving uh and always our good wrestlers would leave (laughs) yeah no good wrestlers (laughs) would come in was waiting for a transfer to come in from somewhere (laughs) <laughs> but they never came. Yeah. So, but yeah, talk about some of that economic benefit. Yeah. I mean, as I, you know, I, I mentioned, alluded to this a little bit earlier, but, you know, um, with, with the increased harvesting uh, in these oil and gas areas, you're obviously going to bring in more hunters, new generations of hunters. Um, you know, what I like to think of too is, you know, basically in the oil and gas industry, if you want to be very, you know, stereotypical, you have these blue collar workers, right. That are making pretty good money. And so you got these people from, you know, West Texas and North Dakota that might be coming down to old Western Colorado to do some work. And they say, Hey, this looks kind of nice. You know, I might want to come hunt here next year. And they're spending the money to buy these out of state tags. They're the ones traveling here and spending the money at the restaurants and at, you know, and the hotels and they're going up and buying all the gear and hunting which, you know, out-of-state hunters, it's the same thing as oil and gas, right? You can be for it or against it or somewhere in the middle. But, you know, you can't argue that it's an economic benefit regardless. Yeah. Um, what I always notice is when I'd run into people, and if you ever spent time chatting with them, the people that, that really knew the areas, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I, I hauled water. I was a, I did something here for 25 years. I've been doing this up yeah. here for 25 years. I know there's elk there, there, there. Oh, it's changed this way, blah, blah, blah. But that was always a trend. Somebody had been up there for the longest time. They've been coming there forever, not just hunting, but they work up there. Right. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy. I mean, even, you know, uh, the small group of people that I may interact with, you know, as I meet people in the oil and gas field, you know, nine times out of ten, one of the things that's going to pop, pop up in the conversation is, do you hunt? Do you fish? What'd you put in for? You know, and then oh, you just yeah. start talking about that. And and it's kind of crazy how, you know, you hear about these different areas. Because, I mean, all these oil and gas operators, they kind of have their own little set areas, right? I mean, there's some commingling, sure. But you, you talk to these different operators from different areas and they'll tell you their stories of hunting and over there where they work. And it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. I like how you said your, your small people that you do talk to. I don't have any friends either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't have any friends, but I got my wife and my daughters and that's it. <laughs> yep. You, 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 mar- you gave one a uh, expensive ring to hang out with you and then you made the yep. others. Yep, exactly. But no, that's all right. It's fun. No. And, and I, and I always wonder, it's like, yeah, it'd be nice to make some new friends around, but do I want to? <laughs> it sounds, just sounds like a lot of work. You know, after people stop inviting you to stuff, you're like, 
well, you know, I wonder why they didn't invite me. And then you're like, well, I'm kind of glad they didn't invite me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I always tell my, my coworkers always tell me, it's like, oh, they could be your friend. They could be your friends. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, I'm pretty sure finding a, a hunting buddy or a friend is harder than finding a wife. <laughs> Just, yeah, most definitely. You know, I'm obviously not physically attracted to them. So there's <laughs> that uh, element is gone. Um, it, yeah, yeah. It, it's hard to. You got to. Yeah. You got to be able to stand stand being with someone for a long period of time. You know, I, I get kind of, uh, you know, I'm okay after a little bit with most people. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, I do know who my a couple of hand, my handful of friends are, and I appreciate yeah. them because I know they're listening. Um, so I will not say you're not my friends, but oh, okay. <laughs> kinda, good save there. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I say some things. My buddy Danny always gives me crap every once in a while. So I, I said something about the the Broncos orange being not really blaze orange, and I heard about that the instant that podcast got uh, published. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'll make sure to keep you keep you in line too. Okay. okay. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> but seriously, it's like a dollar orange. Like some of those hats, <laughs> some of those are are maybe a blaze orange, maybe. Yeah. Well, you you know, some people like to get their blaze orange and let it just sit in the sun, so it kind of Getting fades, faded, and then, yeah. and then you know, that's how they prefer it. So, yeah, exactly. if they want to wear the the off orange, I'd say power to them. Yep, go for it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, let's keep going with our uh, different concepts here of of wildlife and oil yeah. and gas. So uh, migration, what's what's uh, what's that all about? Yeah, so um, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. You know, you think of like these uh, deer and elk that use uh, migration in these areas where we have energy or any sort of development, right? And um, when it encroaches encroaches on their route, um, you know, there's been studies that show that they're they they decline from using those disturbed areas, um, such as access roads and well pads. But at the same time, it creates access that they may not have had before. It's kind of this weird balance, right, where you have these right-of-ways that um, you just see a massive herd of elk walking up. But then at the same time, you know, it's on their migration route and they got these trucks coming. They're going to stay away from that. And then at the same time, you have these predators that have a new way to go get uh, their deer and elk and their dinner, right, because they have um, – because all of a sudden they have, they don't have as much uh, vegetation in their way. They can travel faster, um, and so you have an increase in predators as well. Hmm. Interesting. So, it, which is is it good or bad? Who knows, right? It, it's good. It's good for the coyote, or now the I should say the wolves in Colorado. But is so it explain that? Elk? Explain that a little more. The increase in predators because you've got that a couple here times on our list here just small predators um yeah yeah so um yeah so you know we i i put small predators because i was um kind of a side note of, of me thinking about you know how you have these um say foxes that are thriving in these areas around oil fields um because one they have an easier way to get around um to find you know their dinner and then two you also have these oil filled people who maybe trash behind and you know it'd be like a bear coming to town right you have these oil field workers all 
in the middle of nowhere that are throwing an old sandwich out the window, you know, and you have these animals coming and picking on it. It's the same sort of thing. Hmm. Um, so I, you know, it, you have an increase in predators because they have new routes. They're feeding better. They're not dying from starvation. They're getting their animals quicker. Um, just from these different access roads. Hmm. Uh, and then let's add wolves to it. <laughs> yeah. Now we got wolves, Clint. And yeah. Everything, everything is possible. <laughs> uh, is that I, like a daily conversation now in the field? <laughs> It's... Uh, you know, I, I went to a I went to a site one time, uh, kind of up by Craig, and uh, you know, I pulled up on site, and it, it was my first time being there. And the guy said, um, "Okay, this is so and so. We'll call him Jim. This is Jim. Jim's going to stand behind you um, with this wrench because there's been wolves on here." Um, so as I go <laughs> out and do my inspection, he's standing behind me the whole time, looking behind with, uh, with a wrench. wrench. Yeah, I'm like, well, you can't have you can't have firearms or you can't have anything on on oil and gas properties, right? So I'm like, well, this isn't that's not going to do much. But um, is it a topic? Is it a topic of conversation? You could say a little bit. Um, I mean, my fam- my wife's family, I should say, they're all ranchers, right? And so you see the things in the news about people saying this and that about ranching and cattle dying and. Uh, you know, it just frustrates me, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna mind my P's and Q's. I don't want to, you know, curse on your, your podcast here, yeah. even though you can curse on podcasts, right? You can. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just have to well, hit the explicit button. Uh, well, I will, I won't do that to you. <laughs> no, it's fine. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> no, the, yeah. Every time I chat with that conversation comes up and it's someone in the oil and field, gas field, they've seen them. They've seen them for yeah. Like a long time, quite a long time. So it's not not anything new at all. It's right, and I'm and I'm sure even though officially there's documentation of breeding pairs, that's been happening. That has to have been happening. Breeding, oh, yeah, absolutely. That well, yeah, they, and it's it, it's obvious when you see dark ones and white ones, and it's not just a large husky looking dog. I mean, I've seen wild dogs out there. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've seen packs of wild dogs. Um, but the, and that was a given cause we got a closer look and knew what they were, but they're wild, 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 probably as destructive as the wolves. Uh, but there was, uh, yeah, they, they've shared their reports of seeing this pack of them, dark ones, white ones, gray ones, whatever. So it just uh-huh. it's. I don't think it's anything, anything new. It's just, a mess that that now I know CPW has to deal with an absolute mess yeah. of this well, funding for it, which is coming back on the sportsman. Yeah, so I was when you know initially when they put in the bill to reintroduce the wolves out here, which you know were already coming anyways from um, Wyoming, and uh, I was talking to a, a biology buddy of mine, you know, so he's into bugs and bunnies and all sorts of wildlife, which is cool whatever (laughs) um and you know i was telling him you you know why i was against it and why i don't want it i'm like they're already coming anyways why do we need to reintroduce them and then he told me and you know i don't know how much truth there is to this i'm not the expert but he said you know if we reintroduce wolves then there could be potential to hunt them someday whereas if they just come over naturally then they're going to be protected 
So that would maybe be the only benefit that I can see of it passing. Huh. Is being able to hunt them, which I got a shovel. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Wisconsin was right. that an introduced species, or was that? And, and I am speaking way out of turn here. Yeah, I, I don't know that the history of that, but those wolves are hunted. Obviously, not without contention, but they're hunted, um, and. Michigan, I don't know if they have a hunting season or not. I'm sure someone will let me know. Um, but, my God, I, I shouldn't even talk about any of this. I don't have a well, clue on the maybe, history of maybe it. Maybe we should get a, you know, a biology guy a, on, a history on another of, podcast. Yeah, a talk. history of wolf. Wolf yes. reintroductions and, and native populations. They're native populations, but or native species, but native populations, ones that have been here. Right, I'd be, I'd be right. curious to know because I do know that eradication happened, but did eradication happen throughout the whole West? And then we brought them back down from Canada, which I'm pretty sure that's what happened. It sounds right. Sounds right. Sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> I was a science teacher once. Well, you just, if you just, then you should probably know as long as you sound confident yeah. in what you're saying, yeah. then it doesn't matter. Yeah. Kids it's would call me. It's like, you're a biologist, right? You teach biology. No. Just <laughs> no. you're you're an environmental scientist, right? Yeah, yeah, it's all the yeah. same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I spend same time thing. in the environment, and I teach science, so yeah. environmental scientist. Yeah, there so you go. What uh, we're talking about Western Colorado, but what are some of these other regions that uh, all kind of I don't want to say just a state, but regions of yeah. other states that are pretty popular, having this same sort of impact in Western states, anyway. Um, as far as you're just saying, like, where's the oil and gas? Yeah. Similar to, yeah. similar to Northwest Colorado. Where are some of these other well, areas? Yeah. So, I mean, you're going to have, obviously you're going to have different types of animals and stuff, but you know, you got your big players like, uh, up in the Bakken, which I mean, you're, you're fairly close to that North Dakota. Um, it's right there. The, you know, you, then you're just talking, I mean, I'm sure they still got plenty of deer and elk up there too, but, uh, you know, you're talking, pheasant habitat and other types i don't i don't know what all they have up there and then you got west texas which you know they're not having an issue the thing about texas hunting is everything's private so right but like nevada nevada's primarily public land mostly blm where is the oil and gas concentrated in nevada um i i don't I don't know if they don't have any. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't have a clue. I was just um, curious New, to know, like, New similar. Mexico. Okay. They, they, New Mexico has a lot of oil and gas, and, you know, it, it's they have public lands, and they're dealing with the same issues as we are out here, I'm sure. Um, I mean, I shouldn't say issues. Some pros and cons, you know. Um, same thing that we discussed. And then um, up in, like, Ohio and uh, Pennsylvania, you got the same sort of thing up there too. There's plenty of hunting up there. So, um, those are kind of the big areas. I mean, and then you can even talk into, you know, Canada and the Arctic regions, you know, there's a lot of oil and gas and same sort of wildlife concerns and management and hunting. So, so here's a kind of a wide open question for you. Yep. What's your solution to, uh, both existing having good wildlife populations having uh the interaction between wildlife 
uh, and oil and gas. What's one of your area passion areas that that you could speak on to what a good solution is to coexisting together? Well, you know, I think I think as time has gone on, right? We've had um, we've had these government agencies um, that have created so many obstacles for oil and gas operators. I, I sh- shouldn't say obstacles. I should say standards. Um, they've created these standards that have developed so much over time. I mean, if we were, you know, back in the fifties, sixties, we'd be drilling and oil would be flying into the nearest river. Right. And no one would care. Um, but there's so many environmental requirements now that I think, you know, it's, we're at a pretty good balance um, with these populations of deer and elk and other animals and oil and gas. Um, I mean, at least in Colorado, I, I can only speak for Colorado since this is where I live and work, but, um, you know, I don't see many negatives. I don't see large spills. I don't see dead animals. I don't see birds falling out of the sky. It's just not happening. And so I think we're at a good place. And, um, and I think, you know, it's, it's not going anywhere. Oil and gas isn't going anywhere. And so these animals that have been here, you know, they're aware they've lived with it and they're just going to continue to do it. I think. And we get, we get uh, four years of a pipeline shutdown and it'll just open up again right. in another four years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going exactly. on two and a half more years or two years left. Wow. Hopefully some yeah. of those things yeah. get opened up and get the, our domestic oil back so we can get prices of gas to drop just a little bit. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's an economy thing too, you know, when people are, are saving more at the pump. They could spend more on hunting gear, Clint. That's the way it goes. I we know. Want, we want more money for hunting. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. So, we do. but yeah, no, I think, I think it's uh, honestly speaking from someone who's an insider is, uh, you know, I think it's at a good point and I think it's, I mean, it's just going to continue. I, I mean, environmental, um, restrictions are not going to, lax at all they're just going to continue to get stricter and stricter and what that looks like i don't know but um you know i'm hoping it never gets to a point where it pushes away oil and gas operators to where they can't um you know they can't feasibly operate anymore because that has a huge economic um toll in doing so so right well that's kind of the uh not the answer i was looking for but a a good answer to that I, i feel good about that thanks for yeah i think that's good um, but let's, let's wrap this up and, uh, um, that's probably, that kind of hits majority of our stuff. Any other last thoughts? Uh, no, no, no not that I no, can think of nothing. <laughs> so <laughs> Just, what, uh, what, uh, other than maybe kind of your, your fall, we were talking a little bit about that. You're trying to figure out what you got going for 2022 or got any big plans for 2025 or whatever down the road. 2025 for hunting well I'm just saying down the road you plan any anything kind of yeah. fun down the road yeah you got to plan that far ahead you gonna <laughs> you know i watch a lot of meat eaters so every time I, he hunts something i'm like oh man i need to go do that so um and you that know, is why spear fishing has blown up that is yeah. why coos deer hunting is blown up as well as a couple right. other big names doing that right that is why right. eating different weird cuts has blown up we always yeah. kind of wonder why something gets really popular That's half it. of it's that show <laughs> and, <laughs> and that podcast yeah. shed hunting yeah. is probably people like me who are the culprit paying people yes. money 
to go buy to go do that. Um, yeah, I, I just bought a truckload of antlers this morning, and oh, nice! And, and I'm contributing. I know I'm contributing to this this cause of more people being out doing that. Oh, that's all right. It's, but, it, it, I always look at it. At least people are getting outside. It doesn't matter what they're doing. At least they're outside and not sitting behind their computer screens, you know, or phone screens. And I, and I, as I walk by antlers, and I know I walk by them because I see them the next year or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's enough country out there that yeah. every, a lot of people can go and enjoy it. Not everybody, but a lot of people can go enjoy it and go find some shed. It's not the good old days, but it's also not the good old days of mule deer either. 70s yep, and 80s exactly. were the good old days of mule deer. So uh, <laughs> I'm always exactly. kind of curious, like, okay, what's the next big thing that is so popular right now or, or is going to be popular in the future that right. people just did it back in the day? So say we're back in the day right now. What is not being done that people are going to rave about? And I can't even think of any other outdoor activity that's – is it summer spearing? They're going to be diving, <laughs> free diving. Well, that's going to blow up now because it's a recent yeah. recent Netflix season. Uh, is it – maybe it's going to be like trot lining or set line stuff <laughs> or, or uh, fishing for catfish. I don't know. It already is yeah. down in other states. But, well, what's the right. thing that's going to – be the shed hunting of today or the right the western hunting of today maybe we're all going to be going to kentucky to go shoot their elk <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah for whatever reason <laughs> yeah no i got yeah, you never know yeah one of my little seo tricks search engine optimality op- optimability tricks is throwing in colorado elk hunting in, in the description somewhere because it's high on the search list so yeah. maybe it's going to be kentucky elk hunting that uh um, is going to be big but i know they have it they've got it and there's i think there was a new state down in that region area this year that is is going to have their first hunt but it's kind of interesting just to see how how things change and as we get older and figure and see see more of life it's kind of fun to see the changes and how much we were dumb numb nuts as college kids (laughs) Yeah. Oh, the good old days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, well, I'll let you go. And uh, thanks for thanks for the info. Yeah, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.